Hi, this is Keith, and welcome to Klezmer Podcast 71 for Friday, December 3rd, 2010. The website is klezmerpodcast.com, and you can write to me at keith at klezmerpodcast.com. My guest on this episode of the podcast is bass player Jim Gutman. Jim is probably best known for his work with the Klezmer Conservatory Band, but Jim has branched out with his own ensemble and earlier this year released his first CD entitled Bessarabi and Breakdown on Kleztone Records. I've really enjoyed listening to this album. The arrangements are inventive, and it's very interesting to hear the bass as the lead instrument in the band. Jim does a great job with that. In the interview, we'll get to hear Jim talk about his role as band leader and how he came up with the concept for this album. We'll also get to listen to the title track, Bessarabian Breakdown. One technical note, I had a little trouble with the internet connection on the Skype during this interview, so it might be a few spots where you'll hear some audio dropping out while Jim's speaking. But I think you get the gist of what he's talking about, and here we go with the interview with Jim Gutman. Hi, this is Keith with Klezmer Podcast, and it's uh, Friday, April 16th, 2010, and I'm very happy to have Jim Gutman on the other end of my Skype today, uh, bass player based in Massachusetts. Uh, good afternoon, Jim. How are you today? I'm very well, Keith. How are you? Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, doing great. Um, thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast today. Um You've got a brand new CD. In fact, I read that you just had a CD release party for uh, Bessarabian Breakdown. How did the CD release party go? Well, we, we did two. We did one in the Boston area on April 6th at Johnny D's in Davis Square, Somerville. And that went great. And then Monday, last Monday the 12th, we did one in New York City at Joe's Pub. And that also went very well. It was uh, a lot of fun. It was a lot of stress getting it all together, perhaps a little more stressful than uh, putting the album together. Organizing the band in Boston and then organizing the band in New York and you know, sort of having to mix and match musicians for, for the events. But they both went pretty well, and the response has been very good. Terrific. Well, congratulations on your, uh, I guess this is your debut CD. It is my debut CD. Not that you're new to the business, but you've been around for uh, for a very long time already. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got interested in, in Klezmer music, a little bit about your musical background, and then uh, we'll talk specifically about your new band. Okay. Uh, um, I became interested in Klezmer music. I didn't know about Klezmer music until I was approached by Hank Isetsky, uh, to uh, well, here's the story. I'd been knocking around Boston. Um, I was playing jazz. I was playing bluegrass. At uh, one point, I was playing with Jackie Byard's Boston version of his Apollo Stompers, and Hankus had been writing uh, some jazz arrangements for that band. So I met him. I met him through that. And I ran into him sometime later, and he said, what, what are you doing? And I said, not much. And he said, you're interested in playing Jewish music? And I said, sure. 
you know, I knew that Hankus's musical reputation was very good. Didn't really know what he meant by Jewish music, but I thought I would take a chance and find out. And he said, that's great. You know, we have a concert in two weeks, and we're going to have a rehearsal, you know, on this date. I'll get some cassettes of the material, which he did. And I transcribed the, you know, transcribed the bass parts and listened to the, listened to the music. And we had a concert. We sort of had a performance at the end of a very long Jewish music concert at the New England Conservatory on March 1st, 1980, but who's counting? And, uh, you know, out of that concert, uh, there, were, there were immediate uh, requests for us to play at weddings, to play at bar mitzvahs, to play concerts at uh, local synagogues. And at that point, we had three tunes. Um, so the band sort of plunged into a fairly intense period of rehearsal and learning tunes, and we started working. And for me, it was really uh, learn while you earn. I, mean, I really didn't know much about uh, klezmer music at all until we started playing. And that, that's the of my life with klezmer music. Okay. Uh, terrific. That. That seems to be a common thing. I talked to a lot of people that didn't play it till they were asked by somebody that was already playing it to join them. And then uh, it's a little bit like uh, the drinking from the fire hose, uh, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, just to get... Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of a sudden you're, you're asked to start touring and performing with everybody. So yeah, it's a little bit, uh, like you said, to... Uh, to learn uh, the material pretty quickly. Um, so you've been playing with, with Klesman Conservatory Band since, uh, what did you say, 1980? 1980. Wow, that's, uh, that's terrific. And that, they're really, you know, the one of the first groups of Klesman Revival uh, that, that there were. And uh, I imagine you're still active with them today, but... Tell me about um, your band that you assembled for Bessarabian Breakdown and uh, where they came from. A, a lot of the names I'm familiar with, but some of the names uh, I, I don't really know. So um, uh, how did you assemble uh, this group? And they all, they all sound fantastic on the album, by the, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, the, I, as, as I started to, to think about putting the album together, I thought about particular tunes and I thought about particular musicians that I've worked with that would be appropriate for each tune. So in, in some ways, you know, I, I look at the tune, the album as a collection of short stories as opposed to a novel. So each tune and the personnel on each tune, uh, you know, were constructed to, to have a certain you know, idiomatic feel or a certain, you know, just a certain, a certain sound. So, so in the, in the 30 years that I've been playing with the band, I've met a number of musicians. A number of musicians have come through the band, and I've gotten to know a number of musicians from other genres. And I started putting, putting tunes together in light of those people. So the, you know, Philadelphia Share, which is you know, sort of a traditional, if somewhat, uh, uh, well, I was going to say exuberant, but so much of klezmer music is exuberant. <laughs> but, you know, it was 
about as raucous as it could be. And, you know, I got as big a band together as I thought could, could manage it. And in the band are Grant Smith, Frank London, Dave Harris, two of the uh, original members of the Klezmer Conservatory Band, Tom Hall, whom I met through Frank London when they were playing together in a free improvisation group called Ensemble Garuda in the Boston area, uh, Joel Springer, who played with Tom Hall in a group around Boston called um, Your Neighborhood Sax Quartet. So, so in, in general, it's really a, you know, about relationships that I've had with musicians and relationships between musicians you know, that are on the album that I thought would work well. And really, have, I wanted there to be a sense of everybody being very happy to play together. I wanted those relationships to really fire up the, uh, the feel of the music and, and sort of keep the, the sound of the music um, going. Um, other people on the band, Brandon Seabrook, who's been in the Klezmer scene for about 10 years, Alice Kantorovich, or Kantorovich, rather, clarinet player who was with the Klez Dispensers at Princeton and continues to uh, play with them and lead his own group, as well as uh, he's in the process he's completed a PhD in mathematics. Um, Mimi Rabson, one of the original members of the Klezmer Conservatory Band. Ted Kasher and Billy Novick, two great jazz clarinet players in the Boston area, both of whom who have some knowledge of Klezmer music, both were also great saxophone players. Billy was also my producer and the, the extra set of years in the studio and uh, was an amazing, amazing producer. So re really just drawing drawing from all of the, the relationships that I've had over 30 years and finding the right people for the right tune. Right. Now, uh, on a, a few of these tunes, uh, you're actually taking the melodic lead, which, um, you know, is is uh, a bit uh, daring for most bass players to do. But you, you do it and do it so well. Um Especially in the in the, the small group setting of of these tunes that you've done this with, uh, like uh, and the angels sing, and cuando uh, el cuando el rey nimrod. So, um, how did you approach those uh, melodically? Actually, well, I guess you know, as as a bass player, and as most bass players will know, um, you know, we spend a lot of time playing two notes. And sometimes, if uh, as Stu Brotman has demonstrated so beautifully, sometimes just one note. And you know, in all of that time, you know, you you have a sense of how important you are to the music. You know, I like to talk to my students about how the the bass is like the earth out of which the beautiful flower of harmony grows. But at the same time, you know, I had some desire to, you know, be out front a little bit. And, you know, with, with the band, you know, I would try to create a solo so that I had one solo that I could play in a concert so that for five minutes it could be about me. Um, and the, the, that was one place where the idea for solos like this came from. And the other place was uh, my work at Kles Camp. I've been teaching at Kles Camp for 18 years, and every year there's a staff concert, and it seemed like I should do something to really introduce myself 
you know, as as a melodic player, as a lead player, as somebody with a conception. And over the years, I did a number of things. You know, one of the first things I did actually was put together a band of faculty at Kles Camp to play Philly Sheer like we played on the recording. And and the Angels Sing just came from, you know, having played the tune at a wedding with uh, with Evan Harlan, one of our the keyboard players that had been with KCB over the years. And we just got into sort of a very laid-back, uh, maybe Errol Garner-like version of the tune, and we continued to play it. And we actually recorded it on Klesmer Conservatory's band's 13th anniversary album as a as a sextet with uh, a couple of horn players and rhythm section. But for this, I just wanted to do it as a piano trio. And I'd been playing it in the, in the band with Art Bailey, who had been with the band for about 10 years. And, uh, you know, it just sort of developed. And, the, and it was really, you know, for the, for the album, it was really based on the experience we've had playing together for 10 years, as opposed to arranging it specifically for the recording. Quando um, El Rey Nimrod, on the other hand, I put together, again, a, a tune that I enjoyed playing at weddings and bar mitzvahs, and, you know, I finally learned the melody. And started thinking about different ways to play it. That you know, thought of it as an improvisation, you know, with the original mood of the tune. And then thought, wouldn't it be nice to have something in an odd meter? Everybody plays in odd meters now. Everybody loves Greek music and Bulgarian music. And in New York, all the jazz players are now playing in odd meters. And Dave Holland's big band, I don't think, plays anything in four anymore. So <laughs> some of it was was just sort of a conscious decision. Okay, let's see if I can do this. And then you know, I, I just started to work on it on my own. And then I, ha- I have to say at this point that this album would not have happened if it were not for Grant Smith, who's I've probably played more music with over the last 25 years than with anyone else, and who has been so generous with his time and has been such a great set of ears and such a responsive musician, as well as just a, you know, a very fine drummer. So we got together and we, you know, we tried a few things and then I'd go back and think about it and thought about, you know, a third, trying to get a third instrument on it just to give it a little more, uh, you know, just, just a little more varied sound. And probably the week or two before the recording started, pulled Brandon in, um, who, uh, you know, brought, brought his own voice to it. And we just... Uh, put it together. We rehearsed it a few times, got the idea, and recorded it. And it's, it's one of my favorite things. And we do it, you know, we do it as a trio when we're together. And uh, if Brandon isn't there, well, we've done it with Mimi. We've done it with, we did it with Mimi at Johnny D's because Brandon was not there. And Grant and I have played it as a duo at KCB concerts and you know, we've, we've been out with Alicia Svigals a couple of times, and we've done it on those concerts. So, you know, it's, it's just come from, from that experience, from the experience of working with Grant, and from the desire to, you know, sort of very consciously create something. This was, this was really a very conscious decision for that, too. 
Wow. Well, it it sounds really really great, and uh, the, especially the quality the quality on the bass, the audio sound of it uh, came across really well too. So the engineering uh, here is really good. Uh, WGBH FM in Boston, public radio in Boston. One of two great public radio stations in Boston, the other being WBUR. WGBH has a new studio and just a new building. And in there, they have the Fraser Performance Studio, which is just a fabulous room. And the entire album was pretty much recorded live. I won't tell you about the one thing that I did overdubs on. But um, it was pretty much recorded live. No headphones, no isolation. The sound in the room was great. And two very good uh, engineers, Alan Maddies was the first engineer, recorded the first half, uh, became ill with mono. And uh, uh, Antonio Oliart took over and did, so, so Alan did the, the large group tunes. He recorded the large group tunes. Antonio did the small group tunes and then did all of the mixing. Both of them, uh, very good engineers, very good live sound engineers. And Antonio was just amazing at the mixing board, you know, and, uh, and one of the, one of the things that I had wanted to do with the recording was capture the sound of, I was thinking specifically of Charlie Mingus's bands in the sixties on Atlantic, you know, when he recorded Haitian fight song and recorded Monin and, uh, E's flat, Oz flat two. And re- really have a live sound and a sound of musicians playing together and not being mixed and compressed and isolated so that you can get perfect sounds. And, you know, part of the risk inherent in that is that uh, you've got to live with some mistakes. But I think in the end that, that it was worth taking those risks and it wor- is worth some of the things that are not perfect on the album to have the sense of people really playing together. And, right. and, that's, and it comes across very genuine that way as well. And I have to say, I'm very proud to say that Kwando uh, was played on WNYC's New Sounds program just two nights ago. So I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited that it's starting to get some play outside of Boston where I'm connected to a couple of college radio stations. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this project. Terrific. Well, it, you know, it's, uh, you know, clearly, clearly a lot of effort, and, and it, it sounds like it's uh, really paid off for you. Um, quickly, because I know you're short on time, I wanted to mention about Bessel Arabian Breakdown, which we're going to uh, listen to in a few moments. Um, that's got uh, kind of a combination of sounds or styles in it, and, uh, to me, it sounds like there's some maybe uh, Hammond B3 in there as well. There is. Um, Be- Bessarabi and Husserl was a tune that KCB learned quite early in its career. Mm. And I used to sit around with a Fender bass and try to you know, create a little funk bass line and play the melody at the same time. And this is probably, you know, back when the, you know, back in the early 80s. And never got very far with it. And then about seven years ago, I started uh, fooling around with it again. 
uh, this time on Upright, and started to get an idea of how it should feel, and got together with Grant, and we worked a few things out, and then we recorded it on uh, KCB's most recent album, The Taste of Paradise. And, you know, and that was very cute. You know, we did, you know, this 12-piece band roaring through Bessarabia and Chosodal, and then it so just right at the end, it drops immediately into a little hip-hop groove, and it's just drums and bass. And I had wished that it had been a little more complete after that album came out, and I spoke with Art Bailey, who in high school was a Hammond B3 player, and he played Hammond B3 before he really became a serious piano player. And in, in the years that he was with KCB, he also uh, basically taught himself arranging. I asked him if he'd be interested in arranging the tune. And I just asked him, say, well, could you just take what we did and fill it out a little bit? And instead, he came back with this album, that, with this arrangement that feels to me sort of like Tower of Power Goes to the Caribbean. Right, and it was really quite a challenge, and you know we had had one rehearsal on it before the uh, before the recording, and actually, I'll tell you the truth, that is the one thing that I did overdub because I really had to relearn the tune um, for myself because he he took it in a different direction, and it was quite a challenge to play it that much faster than we did originally, and then to you know sort of move in and out with the arrangements so that, you know, so, cause instead of it just being just me, you know, the, the, the rest of the band comes in at various instances. So I had to relearn the tune after, after the initial recording. All right. Plus it seems to change style, uh, two or three times, uh, during the piece as well. Right. That's why I say tower of power goes to the Caribbean. Right. And and that that's a lot of fun, and it's always a challenge to play it, and I really have to take a deep breath. And that's, you know, as a bass player, I've spent so much time just having to play roots and fifths behind the band that, you know, at concerts, you know, I never, you know, whether, while other people were fussing over their solos, and I really didn't have that much to worry about. And with this tune, you know, if if we've got a performance coming up, I really have to make sure that I'm in shape if I don't you know, keep up on the tune, it gets away from me. And it's, it's, it's quite, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not so much a musical challenge, but, you know, the technical challenge of playing the music that I want to play on that tune. Right. Terrific. Well, um, it's probably the most, uh, um, original tune on the album. So I, I wanted to make sure we, we highlight that because it's, it's, uh, different character from everything else on the album and it really stands out and i can tell why you uh chose that for your title track so um uh we'll wrap up here what what's uh next for for uh you and and uh this band are you going to be uh doing some more concerts uh um touring around anything like that and and how can people find out about the album and and uh to buy the CD or the download, and how can they contact you? Well, I can be contacted through my website, which is jimgutman.com. Gutman has two T's in the middle and two N's at the end. Uh, the album is available on CD Baby as well as directly from me. Downloads, 
you know, I think there it's available from every download. Uh, 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 I don't, I don't even know site. what to call it. <laughs> every download site it's available on iTunes. Um, it's available on some others. I really don't remember the names, but the physical album is available from CD Baby. Um, the future right now, you know, we've I've, I've been working on this since last summer. Uh, from you know when we started looking at studios, and it, actually I've been looking at it for looking on it, working on it for three years, and it took three years to find two days when everybody I needed for the larger tunes would be in town at the same time. So we took advantage of that, took advantage of the availability at WGBH. And that's the beginning of it, and now we've, you know, I've got a final product. I've had a couple of CD release parties. I'm getting, getting reviews. I'm getting some help on publicizing the album. And I think at this point, I've got to figure, I have to figure out for myself what the next step is in terms of, you know, get, gathering reviews and starting to get a little more coverage, getting some airplay and starting to get some interest in bringing the band to to perform. There's some talk about playing at Sleepless Night in Miami um, on November 7th. KCC Productions in Miami is, is working on that with us. And in terms of performing other places, we're just going to have to see. I'd love to play festivals in Europe. I'd love to play festivals around the States. Uh, playing in clubs is a, t a tough call because it's a large band and these are musicians that deserve more than just getting the door, you know, when, you know, 50 or 60 people come to, to hear the band. So I have to figure out a strategy to get the band working in places that can support performances. But I'll be happy to keep you informed <laughs> as things develop. Yeah, please do, because uh, sure. we want to make sure that, that uh, everybody gets the word and finds out, uh, you know, what, what you're up to. Um, I, I suppose that I will set up a, a fan page on uh, Facebook, because everybody else seems to do that, seems to work for them. Um, currently, I am on Facebook, but I don't have a, a fan page set up yet. And, you know, okay. I, can, I, I can be found there. Very good. Yeah. Anything else uh, before we go uh, that I haven't asked you about? I can't think of anything else, okay. but I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about the album and about my nascent career as a, uh, a band leader. And once again, I, I want to thank everybody that, was involved in the album, all of the musicians who gave their time and their talent and a prodigious amount of talent that they were very generous with. And, you know, the production team at, at WGBH and the graphics people at Classic Graphics in Central Square, Cambridge, who really, you know, took, took the artwork that I brought them and, you know, really made a very lovely package for me. Terrific. Okay. Well, uh, Yen, congratulations on the album. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, it's going to get a lot of traction. I and, hope so. Uh, going to do everything I can to uh, to help you out with that. 
I sure uh, appreciate that. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Jim Gutman. And the album is Best Sarabian Breakdown, Hot Off the Press, just released. Everybody uh, go run out and check it out. Keith, thanks so much for having me on your podcast.
Hi, this is Maya from Judici and you're listening to klesmerpodcast.com. All right, I'm back. That was my interview with Jim Gutman, and we heard the title track from his new album, Bessarabi and Breakdown. I'd very much like to thank Jim for appearing on the podcast and also for providing the track for us to listen to. Again, the website is klesmerpodcast.com. And once again, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or if you have a band that would like to appear on the podcast, or if you have a recent or soon-to-be-released album you'd like me to review, please write to me at keith at klesmerpodcast.com. You can also find Klesmer Podcast on Facebook, MySpace, Last.fm, Twitter, and Skype at username klesmerpodcast. And as a reminder, the music heard on Klezmer Podcast is for promotional purposes only and is used with permission. So that about wraps it up for Klezmer Podcast 71. Thanks for listening. Please stay subscribed, tell your friends, and until next time, bye for now. <laughs>